It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. From WBZ News Radio in Boston, this is New England Weekend, where each week we come together, we talk about all the topics important to you and the place where you live. It's great to be with you again this week. I'm Nicole Davis. The weather is getting warmer. We are defrosting. We're making our way out of winter. So you know it's a perfect time to get outside and go out to eat. Thankfully, here on New England Weekend, we always have just the person to talk to about that kind of thing. Mark Hurwitz from Boston Restaurant Talk and Boston's Hidden Restaurants back on the show with us this week. We'll talk about restaurant comings and goings around the area and how the industry's holding up, honestly, after three years from the start of COVID. Speaking of spring, another thing we do not enjoy with the warmer weather are allergies. They're coming on fast this year for sure and furious. Dr. John Foster, chief medical officer at New Health Center in Boston, talking with us about what to expect and how you can get ahead of these allergies before they get the best view. And they say the harbinger of spring around here is not just ice out on Winnipesaukee in New Hampshire. It's when Sully's opens over on Castle Island. We're emerging from our winter cocoons these days and getting out to explore a bit. And that includes getting out to local restaurants, although the restaurant scene in some areas still looks a lot different than it used to pre-COVID. Friend of the show, Mark Hurwitz, back on the program now to talk with us about all things restaurants here in Massachusetts. Mark, it's so good to have you back. Uh, Let's start, by the way, with outdoor dining, because, you know, we do love to do it this time of year. We're getting outside. We want the fresh air. But it's something that's a little complex in Boston these days. So what is the latest when it comes to outdoor dining? Well, from what it sounds like, uh, all of Boston, except for the North End, is going to continue the uh, outdoor dining uh, program that they had, you know, at the peak of the pandemic or not the peak of the pandemic, but last year anyways. And um, that does not include the North End because... According to the city, you know, between noise and trash and construction, uh, congestion, all that, um, it's just it's not feasible to them. So they are not going to allow uh, outdoor patios and, you know, public areas like streets or alleys. Mm-hmm. So uh, restaurants can have patios if there's enough room on the sidewalks for the patios. But in a lot of cases, that is not going to work. So. Uh, There won't be much in the way of outdoor dining in the North End, unfortunately. Mm, Okay, and of course, there has been a little bit of pushback about that. Uh, Residents have one say about it. Some owners have another say. But really, in Boston overall, it looks like the outdoor dining program is here to stay. It looks like it. Not just Boston either. I mean, a lot of other towns and cities in the area are doing the same thing because they realize how great it is. Mm. Uh, Even even without a pandemic or with a pandemic less than Knockwood, it just seems like a great idea because people obviously love to be outside on a nice day. So why not? Yeah, right. I mean, it's something that I think I'm I'm kind of surprised, frankly, we haven't thought about this before, that it took, you know, a worldwide pandemic for, for lawmakers and otherwise to be like, hey, this is actually a really good idea. We should probably do this. Yeah, it shook things up. I mean, it changed everything, of course. And Everyone had to think on their feet. Uh, you know, for instance, breweries had to think on their feet. It's like, okay, they can't just offer beer anymore. They really need to bring people in for uh, dining. And and they had all these outdoor patios. And I think some 
cities and towns took the cue from places like that, from breweries that were doing these amazing business outdoors. So, you know, they decided to go with, um, you know, like Moody Street or Hanover Street last year, where you just had all these places outside Belmont Center, too, where just had a strip of restaurants with outdoor dining. And I I personally love it. Yeah, me too. And honestly, it's got to be a boom for the restaurant owners as well, because this is a whole other way for them to expand their business. And it's really a win-win for everybody. And uh, look, I know there's concern about like taking up parking spaces and there's concern about extra traffic and, you know, people not being able to get around. But I'd like to think that the end result has actually been beneficial. I think it is. I, I And again, the closer you get to Boston, the more of a problem it gets because of congestion right. and you know, trucks and Ubers and just everything, sidewalks. Um, but yeah, for the suburbs especially, I think that it's great. You have all this room in the suburbs and why not use it? So, you know, all these mixed-use developments that are opening up, they're all being set up so that every restaurant can do outdoor dining, which, you know, it's just such a great plan. And, you know, when you think about all the indoor malls that have been closing and mm. all these outdoor developments that have been opening up, I, I think, you know, they're kind of at the forefront of all this where people are going to go to a, a development like maybe Assembly Row or or um, Legacy Place and they can just sit outside and um, just enjoy the, the day or the evening, really. Yeah. And if you don't want to go outside, you don't want to be with other people. There are some of us who sometimes just don't want to deal with people. Um, one thing that's actually going on on Beacon Hill right now is essentially the future of cocktails to go. Another pandemic era thing that came out of all of this. And I'm really curious to see if it's going to be extended for another year or possibly um, they might just pull the whole thing. What do you think about that? Do you think it's going to be sticking around? What are you hearing from people in the restaurant industry? I haven't really heard much either way about how they think it's going to go. But I just I felt like it was a great idea during the pandemic or in the height of the pandemic, that is. And um, now I don't know. I mean, Maybe they can leave it in place, but I don't know how big a deal it's going to be anymore because, you know, people aren't doing takeout and delivery nearly as much as they did. Mm. And, um, you know, if they do, they can just basically just, you know, they have hopefully liquor cabinet. They can make their own drinks. Mm -hmm. So I don't think the cocktails to go is going to be a huge deal down the road, but it was a huge deal for a while during the height of the pandemic. Let's talk about that, actually. You bring up a really good point. Um, takeout. Obviously, more people are going back to their normal activities. Uh, some people who are immunocompromised or otherwise are not going back out to eat in the restaurant. But uh, for the most part, it seems like people are just getting back into their normal flow. And during the pandemic, obviously, takeout was huge for so many restaurants. Uh, many of them relied on it. What are you seeing now in the restaurant space when it comes to takeout and delivery? Kind of like outdoor dining. It's it's here to stay. So even the upscale restaurants, they're they're doing takeout, they're doing delivery, but it's definitely not as big a deal, especially now that we're starting to get into the warmer weather mm. and the pandemic definitely seems to be lessening. So um, you're not getting back to the, the way it was before the pandemic as far as takeout delivery, but it's still a pretty big deal. And like you say, there are people who still don't want to eat at a restaurant, so they do takeout delivery. So It'll always be in place. But one interesting thing is the whole thing about ghost kitchens during the height of the pandemic. Yeah. Where you had these um, so-called restaurants just basically working out of a kitchen, but not really a restaurant just for delivery. Um, everyone was thinking those would take off. And 
it doesn't look like they're taking off because people are getting back into actually going to a restaurant now. So I don't know if ghost kitchens are going to be any kind of a, you know, I don't think they're going to replace restaurants no. uh, unless, God forbid, we get back into a, a major pandemic. Knocking on every piece of what I can find because we do yeah. not need that again. One no pandemic in our lifetimes is enough. All yeah. right. Um, but you, you bring up a really good point. I mean, those kitchens, those ghost kitchens, it was always so interesting to me. You know, whenever I open up one of the delivery apps or otherwise, like I never really know, except for the big brand names or the big local restaurants, you know, I mean, there could be some place like, you know, Schmoopy's Kitchen or whatever. It's like, I don't think, uh, is this really a ghost kitchen? Is this really not? I get why people do it. And I get why restaurants try to spin off and and market themselves in that way. But the concept of ghost kitchens has always been a little bit like, eh, just tell me who you really are. Or just like as a restaurant, just offer all these different things. I, I, I'm really curious to see how that model will end up playing out, as you said. Yeah, because especially now with phones, mobile devices, if, if you go on Google Maps and you just type in restaurants for a neighborhood and you see a restaurant whose name you have no idea what it is, who it is, but it has the same address as like a, a Bertucci's, for instance, which yeah. it did happen. Bertucci's had restaurants that out of their kitchen that I had no idea what they were. Oh, wow. And I was a little, you know, I mean, I tried a couple of them. And they were really good, but I was a little suspect as far as trying them, you know, because mm -hmm. they weren't brand names. Yeah, even Chuck E. Cheese, yeah. like Chuck E. Cheese Pizza did that. I don't remember what the name was, but I remember seeing that um, an article about that. Like, hey, if you order from this certain pizzeria, you're getting Chuck E. Cheese. Like, just be straight up and tell me it's Chuck E. Cheese Pizza. Some people really like it. So why lie? Exactly. And I think it happened so quickly because of the pandemic that I don't think restaurants really had a chance to tell people what the brand was, what the concept was, mm -hmm. or who the who behind it. So. I think that's kind of in the past, at least to an extent. And I know a lot of restaurants themselves were setting up their own ghost kitchens um, under the you know same ownership. And I don't think that's really happening nearly as much anymore. Yeah. Well, a lot of restaurants did what they had to do to try to survive. I understand that completely. And let's segue into that because I was just talking with a friend yesterday about um, – that whole stretch of Boylston Street downtown. Remember, all the bars closed one by one by one there by the uh, Prudential Center. And I'd love to get your thoughts on what life is like now as we make our way into spring of 2023, three years out from when this whole thing started. What is the bar scene and the restaurant scene looking like in downtown right now? Are we seeing any sort of comeback or are things still kind of at a standstill? Mm, it's come back a little bit. There's still some areas that are hurting a lot, you know, down, downtown itself. So mm. the district, it's pretty quiet at night. Um, the Seaport District, it's full of people, but, um, you know, you, you're getting mostly residents going there. You know, who, people live there. They go there. Mm. Um, Kendall Square, it's a little quiet at night. Uh, Boylston Street, yeah, it's it's busy, but it's not as busy as it was before the pandemic. Um, the suburbs are booming. Mm. So you go to places in the suburbs on a Saturday night, you're going to be waiting, you know, an hour or two for a table. But in some parts of downtown Boston, uh, you know, it's especially in weeknights, it, it can be really quiet. So they haven't completely recovered from the pandemic. And who knows when they might? I mean, it's people are still working at home. A lot of people work at home. So if you live in a place like uh, Whitman and you have a job in Boston and you work 
at home in Whitman, you're going to go to a restaurant in Whitman. You're not going to go to downtown Boston. So that definitely affects the whole balance of the restaurant industry. Yeah, you were mentioning last time we talked about the financial district. It's things like that where people simply are no longer working in the offices. But it's in, it's intriguing to me how you say even during the weeknights or on the weekends, people just aren't coming into the city as much anymore. I mean, do you think that they just got comfortable staying in the suburbs where you have, you know, not necessarily all of the craft restaurants or all the big fancy restaurants that they would normally go to, the specialties, but they have reliable food with the chains and otherwise. I think that's a big part of it. And I, even myself, you know, I'm reviewing restaurants. I'm going everywhere. But I'll be honest, I don't go into Boston nearly as much as I did three and a half, four years ago. Mm. And, you know, as far as people who don't do this for a living, uh, people who just want to go out once, twice a week. Um, yeah, a lot of them are not going to go into Boston anymore. They're not going into Boston anymore. Um, they're staying put. And the suburbs, there's a lot of great new restaurants in the suburbs. So they don't really have to go into Boston, you know, and the hassle of it all. You know, if you're in the suburbs, generally, you probably have a car. Mm -hmm. So you're maybe going to go to that mixed use development down the street or the neighborhood bar. And it's just so much easier and and the whole comfort factor. So people were basically at home for two years, maybe more than two years. And now they they realize that it's not a bad thing to be near home. No, no. And the real estate prices downtown, too, I'm sure are not helping because I know I drive through Harvard Square. I drive through all these parts of Boston that I go through on a daily basis. And so many businesses that were filled, they're still empty. And the for sale or the for rent signs are still up. And it seems like the the price of real estate for these restaurants is not coming down enough or it's not commensurate enough to the risk that the restaurant owners have to take to open up. Yeah. And then you combine that with the fact that we have inflation. Mm. So food prices are higher, which means menu prices are higher, which means people might not go out to eat as much and you have a lack of workers. So the combination of the high rents and the high food prices and not as much staff to, you know, bus tables, um, it, it it's killing some. I mean, some restaurants have closed for that. A lot of restaurants have closed for that reason. So, uh, and I don't see any change in that anytime soon, especially with the lack of workers uh, and the the rents. Like you say, they're just so high in downtown Boston. Uh, it's just, I wouldn't personally. I wouldn't want to be in the business right now. I, I don't think I could handle it. No, no. And what are you hearing then? I mean, you know, so many of the area's restaurant owners. What are you hearing? Like, what's the scuttlebutt when these people are talking with you? They must be frustrated or scared, or maybe they have found a way to adapt. What's what's the conversation like right now? They're definitely frustrated. And I know some of them have been looking at the suburbs, which is a great idea. I mean, you do have Boston restaurants that are suddenly getting uh, restaurants opening up in the suburbs. And I think that's going to continue. I mean, look at Sullivan's. Maybe not a great example because Sullivan's at Castle Island, they, you know, they're not paying t- tons of money a month in rent, but right. um, they just opened a place in Hanover. Yeah. And it's going to, they're going to do a killer business there. And mm-hmm. I'm sure the rent isn't nearly as high in Hanover as it is in downtown Boston. So, um, you know, there's, what is it, Luca, I guess. They, they moved to, or they opened a place in Rockland. So, you know, Rockland's a lot less expensive than Boston's. I think that's going to continue. Um, and in other cases, I think restaurant owners are just going to throw in the towel. They're just going to be like, we can't do this. So 
they might just get out of the business. Wow. And it's a real shame for those of us who live in Boston, uh, not necessarily, you know, those of us who are in the seaport or whatever. There's always going to be good food down in those neighborhoods. But for those of us who live in like the outer neighborhoods, you know, the the, the Dorchesters, the Roxburys, the the Alston Brightons of the world, it, it's kind of a shame that those of us in the city who who stay in the city for a variety of reasons, including these really good restaurants, it's it's just a shame that all of these different factors have come together to essentially force restaurateurs to leave. Yeah. So basically, somehow the city and the state and I don't know who else, landlords, they have to make it a little more conducive for restaurants to be able to open, to exist, um, you know, maybe more liquor licenses in the neighborhoods, um, you know, maybe more developments that allow for ground floor restaurants retail there's a lot of developments out there that just there's maybe one retail space and they're you know they're knocking down blocks of stores and restaurants so you're definitely losing space as far as where restaurants can be which makes neighborhoods a lot less interesting because you don't you can't go down to the corner restaurant or bar anymore no because it doesn't exist right right Let's try to turn the positivity up a little bit. Let's let's talk about what we're actually seeing open because, um, you know, you have been all over New England looking at everything that's opening up. What north of town has been coming in that is intriguing to you? North, there's, you know, north, there's not been a whole lot of new places opening. Um, Public Kitchen open in Reading. They, they are in Wakefield, but they open one in Reading and they're kind of a, a comfort food place that has a good beer list. Um, so, uh, you know, there's not a whole, I, you know, the Fox Den open in Woburn, um, they do comfort food there, mm-hmm. but, uh, really there's not a whole lot, you know, some, some of the developments like, um, Market Street, Linfield, there was a place called the chicken and the pig that opened there. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's been kind of sluggish up North, not, not a whole lot of openings, not a whole lot of closings either, but it's it's been kind of, I guess, stable in a way up there. Not a bad thing. All right, then what would you recommend up north? With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you Lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'll tell you one place that I went to recently that I fell in love with was Brody's in Peabody. Uh, I'd heard so much about Brody's. So it's it's a bar, a borderline dive bar, friendly place. Hmm. But you, you walk through the bar really narrow. You have to tell people, excuse me, excuse me. I have to get through <laughs> to the restaurant. And then there's this little room in the back with booths and um they have the most incredible steak tips mm. you'll ever have they rival the best steak tips in the boston area including newbridge cafe and floramos what? and i'm sorry to those two to say that but i think it's really part of that top three there no kidding all right good to know um let's uh, then segue west of town uh, what's new and what do you like west of town you know they, they've been getting some especially around metro west framingham uh, they've been getting a lot of new restaurants out there. Framingham is kind of, I don't want to call it a dead zone, but for a, a big community like that, they haven't really had much of a dining scene, but they've been opening up a lot of um, 
like Asian restaurants and Mexican Central American restaurants out mm. in the Framingham area. I haven't tried any of them yet, but um, you know, all of a sudden Framingham seems to be picking up and it's all like independent places, which is great to see. Yeah. So um, I'm hoping to get out there soon. I haven't really ventured too far west of Boston lately, but um, it sounds like there's some really interesting places, not just Framingham, but Natick, mm. uh, that whole area. Sudbury and Whalen are actually starting to get restaurants, too. So uh, it's starting to pick up out there. Okay. And I know you've been spending a lot of time south of the city lately. So uh, talk to me about what's new and what's uh, tasty there. South, well, uh, there's a place I'm dying to get to in Brockton. It's called Ngon Viet Subs. Mm. So they do the uh, banh mi, the, you know, the Vietnamese sandwiches. Mm. And um, they recently opened in Brockton, and uh, I've been hearing some pretty good things about that. Um, as far as places that I've been to lately south of Boston, I love uh, Johnny Kono's. So it's another, it looks like a dive. It's not really a dive, but it's kind of a, a neighborhood joint with comfort food, so chili and mm. excellent burgers. They have bar pizza. Bar pizza is big south of Boston. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, just a friendly type of place where you can go get a burger, wings, or pizza and hang out the bar if you want or just sit in their little dining room. Uh, that's in Weymouth, kind of in the middle of nowhere in Weymouth, which those are the fun places because it's on a little side street, uh, kind of near the Rockland line. Um, and it's it's a Key West themed restaurant and bar which you don't have really Key west themed restaurants in the boston area no that's kind of new to me i wonder what the backstory is with that i, I think the owner either stays down there visits key west or something oh. like i mean there's all the a lot of memorabilia a lot of knickknacks on the walls just a kind of a fun place kind of a just a real hidden gem because it's mm-hmm. it's a residential area and you'd never know it was there Oh, okay. Well, we were just talking about how uh, the restaurant scene is not really popping back up in Boston, but let us not forget that there are still many good restaurants in Boston. So what are you hearing of these days and what do you think people should check out? Uh, yeah, there's been there's been some new restaurants opening up lately. Um, actually, there's one that's really interesting. It's not really a restaurant, but it's called Silver Dove Afternoon Tea, hmm. which is in the uh, downtown area by uh, Downtown Crossing and by the Common. And uh, they do a traditional uh, English style afternoon tea, and really? um, that just sounds like a sounds like the type of place you'd want downtown, where people would just kind of have a place to to hang out, really, um, because so many places down there either just quick to go places or maybe hot spots that you know not everyone wants to go to. Mm-hmm. Um, but that sounds like a great place to me, yeah. and. Um, also, in Audubon Circle, there's a place that recently opened called uh, Matt. I'm going to mess this up, but Matt Sinan Hand Roll Bar. Mm. So uh, they do like sushi hand rolls. And it's in Audubon Circle, which is about to absolutely boom because they're starting to build um, a development over the Mass Pike there. And there's right. going to be restaurants in that development, including eastern standard which Mm. everyone can't wait for that to reopen absolutely that's for people who might not be too familiar where audubon circle is it's like fenway ish area yeah kind of right on the border with uh, brookline so brookline boston yeah just right outside of fenway and kenmore square Mm. if people want to stay in touch with you you are a very busy blogger but we also have the facebook group which has been very helpful for me a couple of times namely crab rangoon wise which is you know the best food that I could ever possibly imagine. If people want to connect with people on the Facebook group, they want to get involved, they want to learn about these new restaurants, how can they connect? 
the Facebook group is called Friends of Boston's Hidden Restaurants slash Boston Restaurant Talk. So it's it's both the uh, hidden restaurants and restaurant news. But so Friends of Boston's Hidden Restaurants slash Boston Restaurant Talk. And it has about 25,000 people in it. Everyone's always asking questions and answering questions. And um, it's just, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, as far as Twitter, I am at uh, Mark Her Boston. So M-A-R-C-H-U-R Boston. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is my... Um, you know, personal page on Twitter, but I, I give a lot of restaurant news there. And also whenever I go out to eat, I post pictures. And uh, also there is Hidden Boston on Twitter, which is more of the uh, kind of the standard um, news site and also hidden restaurants every now and then. Yes. And you can find Mark's uh, content in all sorts of different publications because this is a man who knows what he's talking about. So it's always good to have you on the show with us, my friend Mark Hurwitz from Boston's Hidden Restaurants and Boston Restaurant Talk. Thank you for the time and happy eating. Thanks so much, Nicole. Well, to me, one of the best parts of spring is opening up my windows and airing out my house before the pollen shows up, that is. Unfortunately, if you've been trying to do that lately, you might have realized we are sadly already past that point. Allergies are making so many of us miserable this year, and it seems a lot earlier than usual, too. Let's talk about that. Dr. John Foster is the chief medical officer at New Health. They're based in Boston. He's on the show with us now. Doctor, thank you for your time. Doctor, a lot of people I know right now are really struggling this year with allergy symptoms. It feels like it started weeks earlier than it normally does. Is this a one-off thing or is this happening for a lot of people? No, I, I think I think it is happening for a lot of people. We're seeing that as well. And, uh, you know, for people to start getting symptoms in March is pretty amazing. But uh, I think over the last few years, it's been actually coming on earlier. So I think it is a real phenomenon occurring. Why do you think this is happening? Well, you know, I think one of the issues is climate change that, you know, I think over time, the spring is starting earlier and the fall is getting later. And there are a lot of other complicated issues around how much carbon dioxide there is in the air promoting better plant growth. But I think the main thing is that there's more pollen around over time and uh, spring is starting earlier. And so people are starting to notice it. In your range of patients, have you noticed more people than usual are coming in for allergy symptoms, or is it just the same people but coming in earlier? I think it's more the same people coming in earlier. Yeah. Yeah. That's good to know. So when we talk about allergies, people, of course, we have COVID going around. There's been the flu. There's been the RSV virus that's been going around. A lot of people are really worried these days. Well, I've got the sniffles. I've got the cough and sneeze. What do I really have? How can you tell when you're sitting at home and you're starting to feel poorly? How do you know if it's just allergies? Yeah, well, you know, I think one thing is that it's it's kind of unusual out of the blue and as an adult to suddenly go from having never having allergies in, in the spring to suddenly getting an incredibly stuffy nose and thinking, oh, I may have developed allergies. So I think for those people, uh, thinking of a viral illness or COVID or a sinus infection is certainly a, a good thing to think about at first. Um, most of the time with a lot of congestion and with allergy symptoms, you're not feeling sick. You don't have that feverish feeling. You don't have a sore throat jam. Generally, you usually don't have a cough, and you usually just don't feel sick. You're just very congested. But um, it's pretty easy nowadays to, uh, you know, do a COVID test at home, uh, and it's a reasonable thing to do. And if it's negative, uh, do one a little over 24 hours later. You know, we certainly recommend repeating it. But really, if your symptoms are due to COVID, um, 
likelihood is your test will end up positive if you do it a few times. And otherwise, um, just kind of seeing how you feel. Right, right. And I'm yeah. sure that if it's COVID, it's going to get a lot worse pretty quickly. It's going to develop from those sniffles and that sore throat into something far more intense and what? acute. Yeah, well, you know, I think a lot of people have had COVID now and have, and many people have been vaccinated several times. So a lot of people with COVID actually don't get very sick these days. So I think uh, getting tested is a reasonable thing. Uh uh, just to be sure, because you may be around someone that's at much higher risk uh, in your uh, in your life. So um, COVID may or may not progress. But I think the main thing is you just don't feel sick like you're coming down with something. It's just a lot of congestion, mm. but you're going about your day and not feeling like you got to go to bed. Okay. Well, those allergy meds out there, I think that a lot of people, you go to CVS or Walgreens, whatever your pharmacy is, and you look at the pharmacy aisle and you go, oh, my God, there are so many different options here. They all say they're going to help. What are some tips that you have for people who are trying to best mitigate their allergy symptoms but don't really know where to start? Yeah, well, I think the great thing is that the the most powerful allergy meds now on the market are easily obtainable over the counter without having to see a doctor. And so if you just kind of know what to do in an organized way, um, you can actually take care of yourself with very few people having to go see the doctor unless you have asthma or something else going on. Mm. So first of all is an antihistamine. And uh, the 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 most widely used one is the uh, is probably Allegra or Zyrtec, and I'm using the brand names, but they all come generically. Mm-hmm. Now, we sort of favor Allegra because it's completely non-sedating, and Zyrtec in some people is a little bit sedating. So uh, Allegra or Fexofenadine and taking the 24-hour variety, which is 180 milligrams a day, is a good thing to start with. Okay. Um, Claritin has it was the first one on the market, and it is definitely non-sedating, and it had a big advertising campaign. But none of the allergists or physicians use Claritin because it's a lot weaker than Allegra. So that's sort of my go-to antihistamine, and you get started on that once a day. The second thing is a nasal steroid spray. Hmm. Most people have heard of Flonase, and there's a couple on the market, Flonase, Nasacort. And again, these come generic, so you don't need to buy the brand name. They work completely differently than the antihistamines and the combination of them really affects the uh, allergy symptoms differently so combining them is incredibly effective rather than one or the other so those are and they're also incredibly safe to use mm. now the the best thing to tell people is that don't let your allergies get ahead of you. You know, we see people coming in, they say, oh, I'm all sucked up. I'm just for three weeks. My nose is completely congested. Well, your sinuses are full of uh, mucus and, you know, it takes a long time to drain out. So if you're someone that has allergies and you feel it coming on, get on those medications quite, you know, quickly and try to get ahead of it. Yeah, for Um, sure. Yeah, they're very safe. Some people worry about nasal steroids and somehow steroids are dangerous, but these are not absorbed hardly at all. And and there's almost no medical problem that either the antihistamine or the nasal steroid will be a problem with. Taking a decongestant can be helpful while these medicines are building up. And the best decongestant is still Sudafed or pseudoephedrine, which is now uh, behind the pharmacy counter because it's you have to sign for it and show your license. The ones on the shelf contain a much weaker uh, uh, decongestant called phenylephrine. Mm-hmm. So, so if you really need something to open your nose up, getting something with Sudafed in it is good. However, just be a little cautious in terms of your medical issues, in terms of high blood pressure, irregular heartbeats, uh, 
and if you have prostate issues. You know, as somebody with high blood pressure myself, I know that there are some medicines, including types of Sudafed, so on and so forth, that they say are not a good option for us. What do you suggest for people who may have high blood pressure or other health issues who are also suffering from allergies? Yeah. Well, you know, I think it, there's not a lot, there's not a lot of choices for decongestants other than um, phenylephrine, which doesn't work very well. That's the one you can get on the shelf, yeah. or Sudafed. But you know, the main problem with patients with high blood pressure are people that don't have it controlled. So you know, checking with your doctor uh, if it's okay to take Sudafed uh, is a reasonable thing. You know, if you're on treatment and your blood pressure is in good control, I don't have a problem with my patients taking Sudafed. Okay. Um, I think. The main thing is a concern if someone's really not in good control with their high blood pressure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the Sudafed, really, these are these are just to use until the antihistamines and nasal steroids kind of kick in and start working. And you really have to stick with them uh, day after day. The, the one thing allergy sufferers often do is they kind of feel a little better and then stop one or the other medicine and the allergies will come back. So you really need to stay on them through the season you know, day after day. Guilty as charged. I'm feeling <laughs> I'm feeling kind of called out right now because I'm definitely that person who, you know, I'm on the Allegra for a week and then I go, oh, I feel a little bit better. And then two days later, it hits you again. So it's absolutely true. You can't do the roller coaster of allergy medicines, right. I guess. Um, and of course, there's saline sprays as well. You can use just to keep your nose, you know, all cleaned out and your sinuses cleaned out as well. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You can uh, use a saline spray. A lot of people like using nasal rinses like Navage or one of those, I think, to clear the mucus out. I think one thing to caution people about is uh, nasal sprays like Afrin, which Mm. work quite well to open your nose up temporarily. But there's a phenomenon with those medicines that after using them for two or three days, you get a rebound effect. So you actually make the problem worse. So we always caution people, you know, at at most, use the Afrin for just a couple days. And I always tell people, just do, do it at night if you can't sleep. But then just you got to stop using it mm. um, and go to the decongestants. We're getting into the peak of allergy season. What are some things people can do maybe around the home or at work or in their personal lives just to try to calm down, I guess, the effects of the allergies that we might be feeling? Yeah. Well, I think, you know, when you when you look out the window in the, on a summer day, um, you know, in the sun, you can kind of see the pollen blowing around. So I think, you know, if you're susceptible to uh, seasonal allergies due to pollen, you know, keeping the windows shut when there's a high pollen count. If you do have air conditioning, use that and be sure to clean your uh, filter screen every year for your air conditioner because that really takes a lot out of the air. Uh, Some of the air purifiers that you can get in your homes can uh, cleanse the air of pollen that gets into the room. Don't sleep with your windows open. That's a common kind of error of people with allergies Mm -hmm. because you'll be just breathing that in all night. Um, Those are some of the things you could do. Yeah. And that's sad because, you know, when you get those perfect 50 degree nights, all you want to do is sleep with the window open, right? But then, of course, that's when the pollen's coming out and you get it all over your house. So uh, any other tips or tricks you might have, doctor? Yeah, not really. I think, you know, the main thing, as I said before, that I find most people, you know, not doing is getting ahead of it when your allergies start. Get on either an antihistamine, a nasal steroid or both. 
uh, and sticking with it through the season. You know, the it may be several months that you want to stay on it. And I think if you're wondering, do I still need to stay on it since I'm feeling well, don't drop both the antihistamine and nasal steroid at the same time. Maybe drop one of them and just see what happens. So then you don't kind of get behind the eight ball again. Right. And uh, you can keep testing yourself through the season to see how it's going. And most most people with allergies can kind of know when it's going to, you know, go away um, into the summer. So uh, depending on your season. So that's my tip. Get on the meds, use the strong ones and uh, stick with it. All right. I appreciate your time, doctor. Thank you so much. Thank you very much, Nicole. Have a safe and healthy weekend. Be sure to connect with us, by the way, on social media. Find us on Facebook and Twitter. And join me again next week for another edition of the show. I'm Nicole Davis from WBZ News Radio on iHeartRadio. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.